All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, glad you are here, really glad you are here. We are uh, starting a new series of messages today about our strategy and uh, what we're trying to do as a church, and I'll jump into that in just a second. We've been in Philippians for so long. Today we're going to be in, in Peter, in First Peter, so I go, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to you. I've been in the habit of saying for almost four months now, the Apostle Paul here is saying this and Paul is saying that, when I'm, and I know today I'm going to be in Peter and I'm probably at some point going to say Paul means this when he says this, but it was really Peter, all right, First Peter. So go ahead and find First Peter if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got your Bible on your phone or on a, a pad or a tablet or something there, go ahead and open it up and, and find First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 2 in just a minute. And uh, I want to I uh, emphasize again, I know Donnie just spent some time talking about it, but uh, we really would like as many of you as possible to, to be at Taylor's First Baptist Church in March for that Send North America event, and uh, we're going to continue to talk about that, but I'm really excited about it. One of the things that we believe in here is we believe in planning new churches, and we support new churches financially. We've been doing that since before we ever met. I don't know if you know that or not, but next month, we will have been meeting here in this auditorium for 10 years. It's hard to believe. Some of y'all, if you were here on the first Sunday we ever met in here, raise your hand. You were here. Awesome. Glad you're still with us. I ran a bunch of people off since then, but I'm glad y'all are still here. It was unintentional, but that's just the way it goes in church, but I'm glad y'all are still here. But, in, uh, but it, one of the things we've been doing, even before we had the first meeting here, was when we would take up our little bit of money, and it was just a, a few families of us, we would send some of that off to another church that was trying to start. And uh, we've been doing that every uh, time since that. And I, I had Robin run the numbers a while back, and, and we're getting close to have given, uh, check this out, we're getting close to have given over $100,000 to New Church Start since the beginning of this church. And I think that's pretty awesome. And, uh, and we still do that now. We're currently giving to three new church plants uh, this year. And, uh, and this Send North America event, it's all about that. It's all about how we can partner together with new churches, how we can continue to do what we've been doing. David Platt is going to be the speaker. I don't know if some of you have read that book, Radical, that he wrote. That was a, a big uh, seller that he wrote, and he's written another follow-up to that, and you'll get to hear him. So really glad that you're here, and uh, we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 2 here in just a minute. When we started this church 10 years ago, we, uh, one of the things that we, we talked about, we wanted to be sure that we had a very clear idea of what we were trying to do and, and what our, our mission and our vision was for this church. And as we gathered and we prayed and, and we went through that, the, this idea of spiritual freedom kept coming up. We talked about the fact that, that people are in spiritual chains. They're spiritually tied up. They're in spiritual bondage. And that, that's not an idea that I came up with. That's, that's an idea that's in Scripture. That's an idea that's in the New Testament. And Jesus came to set people free from spiritual bondage. And so when we talked about what we wanted to be as a church, this idea of freedom kept coming up and we, we thought we need to name the church something to do with freedom. And so we came up with the name Freedom Fellowship. And then as we prayed, we decided that our mission, that our vision statement would be, and this is what we would be trying to do as a church, is to do this, to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. See, I believe that people are constantly searching for true freedom in Jesus they, and they're searching and doing lots of different things to find it. They just don't know that it's found in Jesus. And so they will try to do it through accomplishments. They'll try to do it through relationships. They'll try to do it through substances, sometimes abusing substances. They'll try lots of different things, but what they're really in search of is a relationship with Jesus. They just don't know it yet. 
And so what we're trying to do as a church is we're trying to do everything that we do, worship services, life groups, outreach events, all of that is geared towards helping people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've been doing for 10 years. Now, as we do that, though, that we have choices to make as leadership of the church and as people in this church because there's a lot of things we could do, and we could do anything and everything to try to make that happen. So if several years ago, one of the things we did, we started talking about what is our strategy going to be? What, what are we going to do? We know this is what we want to do, but we've tried lots of different things. How can we narrow that strategy down? Because our motivation, our driving force is to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. But we need a strategy to keep us efficient, to keep us doing only certain things. And, and so the, the mission is the, is, the, is, the, is the what and the why of, of, of what we do. We, this is what we're doing and why we do it, but we need a how. We need to know how we're going to accomplish that. And so a few years ago, we, we came up with this strategy, and, and it's this. We've talked about this before. In fact, about a year ago, we did a series of messages just like, just like today, and it says this. To create churches where people are encouraged and equipped to grow towards Jesus Christ, develop real relationships, and love people. See, we believe that, that if we can do those three things, that if we, can, if we can help people grow in Jesus, if we can help people develop real relationships, and if we can help people learn how to love their neighbors, to love people, then we will accomplish the mission. We will, by doing that, we will begin to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I really feel like that, that our mission is, is the heart of the church and the strategy is the hands and the feet of the church. This is how it's going to happen. And those of you who have a heart, which is all of you because you're still sitting here, uh, and those of you that have hands and feet, which is probably most of you have, have all your hands and feet, and, uh, and you know that, that your hands and feet can do stuff to either strengthen your heart or to weaken your heart. If you're eating a lot of Twinkies with your hands, you're weakening your heart. And if you're kicking your feet up and watching too much TV like I do, you're weakening your heart. But if you're out and you're running a mile or two or 13 or 26 like some of you crazy people do, or if you're eating a lot of greens and, and, and uh, trying to do away with gluten and anything that tastes good and all that kind of stuff, you're strengthening your heart. And so with our hands and our feet, we can strengthen our heart. And that's what this strategy is supposed to do. Our strategy should strengthen our mission. So if we are doing our mission and we are doing it by doing these things, helping people to grow towards Jesus Christ, develop real relationships and love people, that will strengthen the heart of our church, which is helping people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. Well, today I want us to talk about the first part of that strategy, and that is grow towards Christ, growing towards Jesus Christ. See, in the New Testament, well, really all through the Scripture, but we see it a lot in the New Testament, that... Throughout the New Testament, you see where growing in Jesus, becoming different every day as you follow Jesus, that's normal. That's the way this is, this is supposed to work. And, and, and really, growing is, is normal for anything, and, and being different day by day is normal for anything if, if, you're, if you're healthy. Uh, think about those of you that have raised kids or are raising kids. Uh, you know that, that when that baby starts out, they can't do anything for themselves. And one of the things they can't do is they can't feed themselves. And so you do the whole 
bottle or if you're, or if you're breastfeeding or whatever and, and, uh, and you're making sure that all that's taken care of. And, uh, and we, our girls both were on a bottle. I remember warming those things up and shaking them up to make sure there was nothing hot left in them and, and then sitting down and getting their head just right and I'd have to get adjusted with some pillows so I wouldn't hurt my shoulder and, and do that. And then even our one, our one little girl was born real early so when she was first born, she, she couldn't even hold her chin, so you'd have to take her finger, take your finger and shove her chin up on it like, hey, this is how you eat, you know, and you're teaching them how to do that stuff. And then they get a little bit older, and you're starting to buy baby food, and some of you are like really high-tech, organic people, and you're making your own baby food. That's awesome. We just bought our kids baby food and filled them up with steroids, and now they're in terrible health because of that. And, uh, and so, so you do all that stuff, and you're feeding them, and they're sitting at their high chair, and they're learning. Remember when they first had to learn how to use a spoon and how exciting that was? And you'd get out the video camera and all that stuff. And then they'd feed them, and about halfway through, they'd do one of these like that and just spl- spray green beans everywhere, and you thought it was cute the first time, and then you had to teach them not to do that. And then they got old enough where you'd go to Ryan's, and they'd sit there, and they'd sit by themselves, and when you got done, the people at Ryan's would just take that table out in the back and burn it because there was just so much junk, and they'd have to replace the carpet and all that stuff. Now, all of that stuff is cute when they're little, but, but if your child, when he got to be 16 years old, if you were still buying baby food and putting a bib on him and feeding him, or if you were still giving him a bottle, or if when he left Ryan's, if the table looked like it was a mess, there'd be a problem with that, wouldn't it? Because unless your child has some developmental issues, he should, or she should, by the time they're 15, 16, or 17, they should be able to feed themselves correctly. They should be able to use a a knife to cut steak and use a spoon to eat cereal and, and know how to drink a drink out of a cup without it having to have a sippy cup lid on the top because they should be growing. Well, the same thing is true with us with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We shouldn't stay the same. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't enter into a relationship with Jesus and be the same today that you were 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago when you first heard the good news of the gospel. There should be growth going on in your life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and the, uh, the Apostle Peter, who was, who was uh, Jesus' right-hand man when he was here on the earth, and, and, and he was the guy that you'll remember the stories of Peter when, when you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those four books the Gospels because they are the good news of Jesus. Gospel is a fancy church word for good news. And when you read in those four books, you read the story of what Jesus did when he was on this earth. And Peter was right there through most of that. And Peter, a lot of times he would say stupid stuff and he would make mistakes. But now you can see growth even in Peter's life by the time we get to the book of First Peter. And this is a letter that Peter had written. And you can see that there had been so much growth that had been taking place in his life that he was no longer the guy who was a hothead who would take a knife and cut somebody's ear off when they tried to arrest Jesus. He was no longer the guy who was so scared of being crucified the way Jesus was about to be crucified that when a little girl accused him of being a follower of Jesus, he denied it and he, and he cursed and, and all those kinds of things. Now he has grown, his, his relationship has gotten to the point where now he is, a, he is a mentor to other churches and he's writing letters. And one of the things he writes about in 1 Peter chapter 2 is he writes about what it means to grow in Jesus Christ. So follow along with me while I read 1 Peter 2 2 through 5, and Peter says this, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, 
But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's a few things, I think, in this passage that we can learn about what it means to grow towards Jesus about why, while we read this. And the first one is, is just one word. So if you're taking notes, write this one word down. And that word is desire. Desire. Look there in verse 2 and 3. He says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now when Peter says they're like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, he's not saying that these are baby Christians. He's not writing this to these people and saying, man, y'all are real immature. He's just get, making an example and he's saying, listen, just like, and, and it, it was an example, the same one that I just used a while ago, a lot of us understand what it's like to have that baby. And remember, when a baby needs to be fed, they let you know, don't they? They really need to be fed. And it doesn't matter if it's four o'clock in the morning, they're going to let you know that they need to be fed. And Peter is saying, just like a baby longs for that next feeding, just like a baby needs that feeding at 2 a.m., you need to long for, there needs to be a desire to grow in Jesus Christ. There needs to be a desire to know more, to be closer to him than you have ever been. And, and, and that this longing for, that, that word longing there, it's a, it's a word that in the Greek, it, it means to desire, but it also means a desire where you're kind of pursuing something. And it's a, it, it, that same word is used throughout the New Testament. I was looking at it this week, and it's used throughout the New Testament. Oftentimes when, when Paul would write his letters, he would talk about, I long to see you. And he, it was a word that he would use when he's talking about being in a relationship with someone. And Peter is saying here, just as you long to see an old friend, and you are willing to change your schedule, you are willing to rearrange things to make it possible for you to see that person you have a relationship with. Peter says we need to long to be with Jesus Christ. We need to have that desire. We're willing to change our schedule. We're willing to do what it takes to spend time with him, to be able to be closer to him. See, and the way we do that, we, there's, there's different ways that you can grow in Jesus, but, but there's one way that I think is the best. And I think it's pretty simple, but we tend to not make time for it. See, God has given us an amazing tool to be able to understand who he is and understand who we are and understand how we're supposed to interact with him and interact with the world around us. And that tool is the Bible. He has given us the Bible. Can you imagine just how amazing that is? The fact that, that there is a God who created this, this whole world, everything that we're on, he created this years and years ago. And that now, we, he, he's invisible, right? None of us have ever seen God face to face. You've seen the work of God. You've seen God at work in your life. You've seen God at work in the lives of other people. You've seen God at work in the church. But none of us have ever stood face to face with God because if we did, we wouldn't be able to survive it. And so he's this invisible God. There was an old hymn when I was growing up, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Anybody sing that hymn growing up? I used to sing that. And that's who he is. He's immortal. He's everywhere. But he's also invisible to us. And so there's this invisible God. And he knew that to, in order for us to know him more, he said, I'm going to give you a book. And I'm going to make sure that it's been protected through the years. And it was written down by men who were spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote down every word that he wanted in there. And I believe that when you pick up the Bible and open it up, that there's not a word in there that God didn't want in there. And there's not a word left out that he wanted in there. It's exactly the way he wanted it to be. 
And we have this tool to be able to use to understand who he is and what he wants for our lives. And one of the ways that we can grow is we begin to have a desire to read that and to know that and to understand that. Now, there's a, in verse 2 and 3, let me read that to you again. He says there, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that my, but by it you may grow up into salvation. But then he has the first ver, uh, word of verse 3 has the word if. So there's a qualification. All right, he said long for this, but here's, here's how you're going to long for it. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, I can stand up here all day long and say to you, you ought to desire Jesus. You ought to desire to know Jesus more. You ought to desire to read the Bible. And me saying that is not going to make that desire grow in your heart anymore. But you know what will make that desire grow in your heart? If you have had an experience with Jesus. If he has touched your life. If he has saved you from sin. If there has been a point in your life when you got to and you said, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. And someone came along and they shared the gospel with you. Whether it was your grandmother or a Sunday school teacher or a next door neighbor or a co-worker. They told you about Jesus. And you got to the point and you said, from here on out, I'm living for him. I believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection. I give my life to that. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And now you should have that desire. Uh, how many of you like uh, Krispy Kreme donuts? Anybody, anybody like those? If you don't like Krispy Kreme donuts, we're going to come up here at the end of the service. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Because something is wrong with you spiritually. Um, when I, if, you, if, you, if you're like me, I ride by that Krispy Kreme sign and it says hot and now, and thankfully I'm not in Greenville that often, because if I was, I'd weigh about 500 pounds, because when I see the hot and now sign, it's just like, you know, you immediately want to just pull over there. Well, now, I grew up in a house where I've been eating Krispy Kreme donuts my whole life, but let me tell you something that we do, it, it, that my parents do, and, and now we do with our Krispy Kreme donuts, and listen, and, and when I start talking, some of y'all are going to be grossed out immediately, okay? Now, first of all, there has to be some donuts left over. Now, if you're one of those people that sits down and eats a dozen at a time, you, then you don't even need to listen to the rest of this. But normally, if you get a dozen donuts, you'll have maybe three left over after you're done, or maybe less if you've got teenage boys in the house, but you might have three donuts left over. And so what you do with those donuts is what I grew up being, being taught. Is, is you, you sit them on the counter, and by the next morning, they're no longer hot, and they're no longer now. They're just there, and they're kind of hard. And so what you do is you take those donuts, and you cut them in half, and then you get some extra, and listen, don't, don't, don't shout me down, all right? Just hang with me. You get some extra sharp cheddar cheese, and you, and you, you cut the cheese. I've just always wanted to say that from the stage. You slice off pieces of that cheese, and then you lay them on those donuts, and then you put, them in the, and you put them in the toaster oven or in the oven just long enough to melt the cheese a little bit and get the donuts crispy, and then you bring those things out and eat them. And I'm going to tell you something. Now listen, all y'all are like, oh, y'all are crazy. Just try it. Before you say it's terrible, just try it. And, and that super sweet Krispy Kreme taste. And that sharp cheddar cheese taste together, it's this, uh, it's this glorious taste. I like it so much that sometimes I will withhold from eating a couple of donuts when they're hot just so that I can eat them the next morning with cheese on them. I love it that much. And they are so good. And see, here's the, here's the reason why 
that I want that. When I see the Krispy Kreme sign, here's the reason why I immediately think of cheese donuts. You know why? Because I've had them before. I've tasted them, and they are awesome. And what Peter is saying here is, listen, if you've had an experience with Jesus, he said, if, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you should want to go back for more of that. The reason I want to go back for more Krispy Kreme cheddar cheese donuts is because I've had it. And if you have ever had an experience with Jesus, you should have a desire that you want to open the Word to see what it says. You want to get to church to hear what the pastor has to say. You want to be involved in life groups so that you can fellowship together and learn from one another. There should be that desire there if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, does that mean you can't have a bad day? No. Listen, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but some Sunday mornings I wake up and I don't want to come here and talk to you people. I just will tell you. Now, most of the time I do. Today I did. Today was a good day. I was looking forward to being here. But there are some Sunday mornings that I wake up and I think, man, the last thing I want to do is go stand up on that stage and talk to these people and I know which ones are going to be falling asleep and it's already making me mad. So you can have bad days, but I'm talking about an overall desire that if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there should be a desire, an underlying desire that even though you have good days and bad days, there should be that desire there that you want to know more about who He is. And see, that desire and that growth doesn't happen one time. What we're talking about here is we're talking about daily growth. We're talking about daily growth. Look at verse 4. Peter says this, as you come to him, talking about coming to Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So your relationship with Jesus, it has a starting point. At some point, you had to go from not knowing who Jesus was, not trusting in Jesus, to crossing the line of faith and saying, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection. And one of the things that we do at this church and that churches throughout history have done is that we celebrate that moment with baptism. And, uh, and when we have baptism, it's my favorite thing that we do in this church. And we've got one coming up in, in, uh, in, the, in May that we're going to give you the date of soon. But when we celebrate baptism, what we're celebrating is that these are people who at one point in their life, they did not know Jesus but then they accepted the gospel, they accepted it as truth, it became a part of who they were, Jesus forgave them of their sin, and that we celebrate that through baptism. And that's an important day, because one of the things we always tell people who are being baptized is, is that there's going to come a time later on down the road where you're going to have one of those bad days. You're going to have one of those days when you don't really feel saved, you don't really feel like Jesus is a part of your life, and you need that day to look back and you can say, you know what, even though I don't feel it today, I know it was real then, I was in that water, and they dumped me, and I came up and I knew it was real then so if I knew it was real then it's still real now even though my feelings might be betraying me today and I might not be understanding that so your relationship with Jesus has to have a starting point but it is a starting point that's not the the whole story it doesn't start and have a middle and have an end all at that moment see what happens is when you accept Jesus as your savior then you begin a process where you should be experiencing daily growth that's why when peter says there he says as you come to him it's a process it's just like uh, in, in june 8 1991 
is an important day in my life because that's when I married my beautiful wife. And so we've been married since June 8th, 1991, and, and uh, we had a wedding, and, and we didn't have a huge wedding because we didn't have any money. And, uh, but guess what? We're just as married as those of you that spent $100,000 on it. And uh, so, I'm sorry, that was, a, that was a mean shot. I just took it somebody's daddy. But I have, two gir- I have two girls, and I'm already worried about how much it's going to cost for them to get married. You know what's on my mind. But we got married June 8th, 1991. Now, imagine if, if we got married that day, and, and I had said to Sherry after the ceremony, okay, this was awesome. Glad we got to do this. Um, I really don't, really don't feel like talking to you. I uh, really don't want to hang around you that much. Certainly don't want to go on a date and watch some movie that I'm not interested in or whatever. So just uh, I'm glad you're here. This was great. And uh, when I'm dying and, and, and I'm on life support, I'm going to need you there to hold my hand. And then, uh, But between now and then, don't worry about it. What kind of relationship would that would be? It would be a terrible one. It would be the worst, wedding relation, uh, worst marriage relationship ever. But see, sometimes, now listen to me, Sometimes that's what people do with their relationship with Jesus. It's like they want to, yeah, I need Jesus. And they walk down an aisle somewhere and they go to revival and they get all excited and they get saved and they get baptized. And then they don't have anything else to do. They don't talk to Jesus. They don't learn about Jesus. They don't walk with Jesus. They don't serve Jesus. They don't do anything with the church of Jesus. And then all of a sudden they go all the way to the end. And then they, they want to know, okay, now when I'm dying, Jesus, I want you to be there to escort me into heaven. Because of, remember what I did all those years ago. But nowhere in the New Testament do you find that that is a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ. See, what the New Testament teaches us is that there is a starting point to your relationship with Jesus, and then you walk with him day after day after day. When Jesus was on earth, what did he tell people when he walked up to them and and he told them, he said, you will come and follow me. He said, lay down your nets and follow me. He didn't say to them, hey, accept me now, ignore me for the rest of your life, and I'll show back up again when you're dying. No, he said, follow me. It's daily. It's got to be that daily growth. That's why I love it in, um, in verse 2 where it says, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Did you realize that being saved is a process? See, we always talk, if you grew up in church like I did, what do we say happened when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and then you were baptized? We talk about, we say, I got saved. I got saved, me, what I said for years, I got saved when I was eight. When I was eight years old, Jesus saved me. And that's, all, that's a great thing to say, and we all say that. But here's the more accurate thing that we should say, and we don't say it because it doesn't roll off the tongue like I got saved. We really should say, when I was eight years old, Jesus began the process of salvation in my life. And that's kind of hard to say. But we don't say that. But if, you know, if we're accurate and say, when I was 16, Jesus began the process of saving me. Because what happens is, is there's that moment where you accept Jesus and the process begins. And then it grows every day as you walk with him. And guess when that process is going to be completed? One day we're all going to die. And if you have accepted him as your Savior and you were walking with him and so that he was still a part of your life and he was right there the whole time. And then when you die, he is going to escort you into heaven. And when you get into heaven, guess what's going to happen then? It's what the Bible calls glorification, which sounds like one of those woo glorification kind of things. And so when you're going to get to heaven you're going to be glorified and that's when salvation is finished you're going to see jesus and the scripture says you will know him 
for you will see him as he is. You will finally know exactly what it means to be saved. See, even at this moment, we know a lot about Jesus. He's given us the word. We can learn about him, but, but there's so much that we don't yet know. The Apostle Paul said it's like we see through a glass darkly. It's like, a, it's like a window that needs to be cleaned off. And then when we get to heaven, not only is the window going to be cleaned off, the window is going to be busted open and you're going to be standing in the household of Jesus. And you will know him exactly the way that he is. But it's got to have that daily growth. Verse 5 there, Peter says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You don't build a house in one day. It's a process. And he says that we're like, there's like stones being put in place to build up the spiritual house. And so every day that you walk with him, there's another stone added there. You begin, to, you begin to read the Bible for yourself. That's a stone that's put in place. You begin to give what God's commanded you to give. That's a stone that's put in place. You begin to find a place of service. That's a stone that's put in place. You begin to share Jesus with your neighbors. That's a stone that's put in place. All of these things, and so you're being built up into this spiritual house that there's this daily growth that began with a desire to know Him. And now it's a daily part of who you are. And then the last thing that I think is, this is more along the lines of probably proof that you're growing towards Jesus, and that is action. Action. Verse 5 there, he says, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You ever heard the old saying, after all is said and done, more will be said than done. Anybody ever heard that old saying? The reason that's an old saying is because it's true. One of the things we love to do, and not just believers, just people, we love to talk. We love to talk about what we're going to do. We're gonna, we love to talk about what someone else didn't do, what someone else should have done. But we don't like to do a whole lot of stuff. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're really growing towards Jesus Christ, somebody should be able to see it in our lives. There should be some action. We should be different than we were before. And, it, and that, that what's different should be seen by the things we say and do and the places we go and the conversations that we have. See, growing in Jesus is only real if the result is action. It, it's more than just having the right answers and it's more than just showing up. I don't know about you, but for a long time, and this was not my church's fault, this was my fault. But I believed growing up that what following Jesus was really all about was you showed up. And I went to a church that a lot of you did growing up, the same kind of church where you showed up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And if you were really crazy, you even came to discipleship training on Sunday afternoon. And then every once in a while you'd have a revival and you came every night for that time. And man, I grew up and we did that. We were always there. We were showing up. And so I thought that was a lot of following Jesus, just showing up. And then the, the other part of that was I thought it was a lot about having the right answers. If you could learn all those books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in order, if you could name all the 12 disciples, if you could name the 12 tribes of Israel, if you could know what Jesus' first miracle was and all that kind of stuff. And listen, all that stuff is good. And if you know that stuff, that's exciting. I'm happy for you. But that doesn't mean that you're growing as a follower of Jesus just because you have the right answers and just because you're showing up. See, the, the proof of whether you're really growing in Jesus happens Monday through Friday when you're not at church. 
It happens in your house when you and your wife are having a conversation and the way you speak to one another. That's when you see it, is in times like that. And see, Peter talked about that, that we're supposed to, if we're really following him, that, that we are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Remember the, the priests in the Old Testament, they were the, they were the ones that would, that would bring the people closer to God because there was this huge separation between the people and God. And, and remember, they built the temple, and in the temple there was a huge curtain that actually signified that God is on that side of the curtain, you're on this side of the curtain, and you can't go over there. That was the, sig the symbolism of that curtain. And the priests were the ones that they would get to go beyond the curtain. And they would take a sacrifice for the people to go in and say, I'm representing the people of God. And they would bring that sacrifice in there. Now Jesus, when he died, he tore down the, the curtain. Literally, the curtain was torn in half. And now we can all go directly to God. But you know what? We're still supposed to, now that we can go directly to God, we're still supposed to be a priesthood for the people around us who don't, ne don't yet know him. And we're supposed to do what we can to bring them to the foot of Jesus the people that you work with, your neighbors, people that you know that, that just don't know him. They don't know the gospel. Church isn't a part of their lives. I've told this story before, but not all of you were here, I know, because it's been a long time ago. And I'll tell it again just because it's one of my favorite stories. But when I think about when we're supposed to act and we're supposed to, to do things to follow Jesus, I think about this guy that I knew over 20 years ago now, when I was in seminary in New Orleans, uh, the first semester that I was there, I worked on the yard crew for the seminary. We had just gotten there, and so I'm cutting grass and weed eating and, and planting things and doing all that stuff that we're doing to try to help Sherry and I pay the bills. She was off working a real job so I could go to school, but I was trying to do something to get a little money and to help us pay our bills. And and, uh, and so I worked there at the, on the seminary yard crew, and so we had this, the big physical plant there at the seminary that went in, and so you had the yard guys, you had the mechanics and, uh, that would work on the vehicles and stuff, and there was this, this mechanic there who had come over here from Vietnam, and he was about four foot nothing, his name was An, A-N, Trang, T-R-A, and I'm sure he didn't say it like Trang like I did, but A-N-T-R-A-N-G, An Trang. On was one of the shortest people I've known, and he had one of the loudest voices I've ever heard in my life. He, if, if there was like 80,000 people at a football game, I'm convinced that he could stand up and make announcements at center, at the, you know, at 50-yard line, and people would be able to hear him. He was so loud. Well, one of the things that he would say, he, he, he didn't know a lot of English, but he had certain things he would say over and over again. And one time I remember, and he would do this all the time, people were standing around talking, and they're talking about a situation and it was a situation that nobody could figure out what the solution was. And An's standing there, and everybody's talking about it. And they talk, 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 and then it gets kind of quiet. And An says, do something. Do something. That's what he would say. If you were talking to him, he'd be like, hey, this is what I got to buy. And he would just look at you and go, do something. That was his thing that he would say, do something. And I love it because it's so simple, but it's so true. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, a lot of times we want to do a lot of talking and we want to do a lot of trying to figure out, well, I don't know about this, I don't know about that. And I think sometimes God is in heaven saying, just do something. I've already told you, I've given you a whole bunch of stuff that you can do. Just do something. 
well, you know, I, we need to do this and we need to do that. And there's all these people that need to be fed and all these people that need to be home, uh, you know, given homes and all that stuff. And I feel like God's just saying, just do something. Just feed one of them. What about all the people that are lost? Just tell one. Do something. And see, if we are growing towards Jesus Christ, then there should be stuff. There should be actions. There should be words that are coming out of us that are indicators that that growth is real. That Jesus really did die on the cross. He really did come back from the grave. And that we can know him. Now as we finish up, I want to give you a couple of uh, couple of things to think about and a couple of, couple of um, challenges to do something. If you want to grow towards Jesus, the first thing that you can do that's, that's the best you can do, and I told you earlier, is you can read the Bible. Now let me, let me tell you how I think that you can do that. And I'm going to tell you about something we're going to do here at the church to help you with that. Um, you need to find you a plan. First of all, you need to get a Bible translation that you can understand. Now, if you can understand the King James Version, awesome, good for you. Personally, I was terrible at Shakespeare in high school, so I had to find one that I could understand a little bit better. Nothing wrong with the King James. I was raised on it. I can quote John 3.16 from the King James. But I, I read a different one now. But find a Bible translation that you can understand. I would suggest the NIV, that's the New International Version, the ESV, the English Standard Version, I would those two are good. If you want to read the New Living Translation, that's a good one too, real easy to understand. But find you a Bible translation that you can understand. And then find you a plan. And finding a plan to read the Bible is simple as downloading a version app on your phone and there's about a million plans to choose from or Googling Bible reading plan and you can find a gazillion of them on there and find you a plan and start reading. And now, here's the deal. Once you start reading that plan, don't give up when you fall behind or don't give up if you read a part that you don't understand. So you've got to look at this like you're eating. When I eat... I've never once ate a meal and thought, hmm, that meal wasn't my favorite. I'm done eating. I'm never eating again. But see, that's sometimes what we do spiritually. It's like, okay, I'm reading this part of the Bible. Man, I got in Leviticus chapter 12, and that was a whole list of how to kill a goat. And I'm not reading this again. This is a bunch of garbage, right? Or the other thing I've never done is I've never missed a meal. Like, you know, get excited and work through lunch and then come home and think, well, I'm behind on my eating. I guess I can't eat anymore. No, I'll always go back and eat. So I'm, I'm doing a Bible reading. I told our elders this. Uh, we were together a few days ago. I'm doing a Bible reading plan right now to read through the Bible in a year, and I'm about eight days behind on it right now. So, but I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm not going to quit just because I'm about eight days behind. And it'll be okay if I finish up the Bible all the way through on January 8th of next year instead of December 31st. So get you a Bible that you can understand, get you a plan, and go at it. Start reading it. And let me tell you something. Go ahead, if you're taking notes, write this date down, April 26th, 426. On April 26th, we're going to do an event at our office that you're going to have to register for because we've got limited seating at our office. We're bringing in a friend of mine and a, a guy that some of you know, uh, Dr. Kurt Horn from North Greenville, one of the smartest Bible dudes I know and one of the most passionate men I know about reading and understanding the Bible, and he's going to do a two-hour seminar for us on Sunday afternoon, April 26th, from 3 to 5 o'clock, about how to read the Bible for all it's worth. 
how to get in there, how to help you understand it. When you're reading it, what do you need to be looking for? And I'm bringing him in because he's way smarter about the Bible than me and Donnie are. And so we're going to bring him in and let him uh, teach us all that stuff. But that's April 26th. And so go ahead and find it. So I want you to understand that I'm not just telling you to read the Bible. I also want to give you a tool to help you to do it. And then the second thing that I want to encourage you to do is do exactly what you've done today and continue to be in worship. One of the things that I can promise you is, is that every time that you come here, we're going to talk about the Bible, we're going to read from the Bible, we're going to try to interpret the Bible together. I don't stand up here and try to make up stuff, I'm not trying to be a self-help guru, anything like that, I'm just trying to help you understand the Bible better as I try to understand the Bible better. And if we do that, all of us will grow towards Christ together. So continue to do this. And then the last thing is, if you're not yet in a life group, find you a life group to be in. Because sometimes you, in a life group, you would have an opportunity to, when we, I might have glossed over a part of the verse today that you're thinking, man, Cliff, I wish you'd have gone back and spent more time on verse 3 about the word is in there. Whatever. Well, that's the kind of stuff that in life group, you can spend some more time talking together. And you can talk about what this verse meant to you and how you're trying to live it out. And then you can encourage one another. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have a time of invitation where you can come down front, you can pray, you can, you can come speak to, to Donnie or one of our other uh, guys up here. And, uh, and as we do that, I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you that, that if you're at a slow time of growth in your relationship with Jesus, don't get stuck in that. It's, it's okay. We all go through dry times. And if you're at a time when you're just growing like crazy, I want to, I want to tell you how happy I am for you. And for you to help spread that to somebody else. Because we all need encouragement. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you wrote it so that, so that we can understand who you are and be changed by that and be transformed by it. And as we seek to know you more, seek to follow you closer, I know there's going to be roadblocks and times of discouragement. I pray that, that you would help us to overcome those things in your power. That we would give you the glory for everything good in our lives. That as we learn more about who you are, that it would make a difference in our communities. It would make a difference in, in the lives of the people that we, we come in contact with. And we ask that you would, in the only way that you can, that you would change us. We can't change our own hearts, but you can. And you have. And so I pray that we would trust you for the change that needs to take place in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.